right. So I uh, have invited Steve Holsinger to uh, share with us today. One year ago today, Steve was here, and uh, he, he delivered a powerful message, and so we invited him to come back again today and do that. Uh, he's out here because he's going to be participating at the Week of Missions over at Camp Wainema on the coast uh, this week. Steve is a retired pastor, lived in Alaska for many of those years, and decided to go to Atlanta, Georgia, where it was hot and humid and warmer than Alaska, is my guess, right? No family over there and all that good stuff. But Steve is, uh, is kind of the chairman, kind of. You are the chairman of the board of the South Sudan Africa Mission, and we have uh, some connection with uh, Sam and the ministry there. And so Steve is here to share with us today. Um, if you read the title, it's kind of powerful. So uh, buckle up. <laughs> and would you give a nice warm welcome to Steve? Thank you. Before I forget, I want to thank you for participating with us in South Sudan African Mission. Uh, for many years now, we've been helping the newest nation on earth get uh, established, and they are struggling. They have birth pangs. It's a difficult thing to establish a new nation, especially in Africa. But we're at a, a, a very important time and a, uh, actually a very encouraging time in the life of the mission. We have the first generation of children in 50 years who don't spend every day being drilled on what to do if the Janjaweed come and the soldiers come and uh, live in fear. We have a generation of kids who've grown up learning to worship and dance and sing and celebrate who God is and have, have never known the fear that their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents uh, have had to live with all their lives. We're beginning to see permanence in the, uh, in the mission. Brick buildings that they're building themselves at their own expense. Uh, and so our, our little children in the mission are growing up uh, and they're taking responsibility for themselves. And your church has been a part of that for several years, uh, helping with office space and printing and lots of, uh, lots of things that have been encouraging. So thank you. And we have a display out in the entryway if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter or learn a little more about uh, the mission. I, I have to begin this message the way I began last hour, and that is to slip off my shoes. Whenever you experience the manifest presence of God in a place, in, you see that in Scripture, they're told, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. And I hope you are aware of how special what you're experiencing here is. To have a pastor that you love and who loves you is not a given. To see the appreciation that you have for your pastor is powerful. To see people being baptized in every service is so important and so powerful. Lives are being changed. To hear passionate testimony like you heard and to be led in worship the way we've been led in worship, we're experiencing something holy. And we need to, I, I hope you value that. And I know you do. I could see that you do. But I just uh, am so impressed with what's going on. I wish it wasn't 3,000 miles from uh, my house to your house. Uh, but it's good to be here at least once a year anyway. Uh, I've been asked to be a part of a series of messages at our church. I actually live in Rome, Georgia, not Atlanta. And so greetings from the church at Rome. Uh, 
And uh, in a few weeks, I'll be preaching at the Church of Rome, and we're doing a series in the uh, uh, Ten Commandments. And the idea is we have lots of new believers, we have lots of young families, we have lots of children who need the basics. And so we're going back and just looking at the basics. And so I've been asked to speak on the third commandment, uh, and I get to practice on you. So that's, uh, that's good. So here's the third commandment. We titled the message, Watch Your Mouth. Uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I hope that you had a mean mother. How many of you had a mean mother? Let me tell you what I mean by that before you commit yourself. Uh, my mother was here last hour, by the way. She's 91 years old and doing, doing well. Yeah, yay mom. Uh, and the best uh, review of, of last hour's sermon was from mom. And she said, I'm proud of you. So that's, that's important. But uh, I had a mean mom. I have a mean mom. Uh, we only referred to this as the bottom. No other terms were allowed. We weren't allowed to use euphemisms for God. We weren't allowed to say gosh or golly or gee. We didn't say darn or dang or heck. I would get in trouble if she was here right now. Uh, <laughs> and she taught us to watch our mouth. And this, this lady wanted to know where we were going, who we were going with, and when we were coming home. Can you believe that? Uh, and she was a, a stickler about using the name of God in vain. And if you wanted to get in real trouble, that was, that was one of the big bad ones. Because that was just not allowed in our house by, by her or by uh, our dad. And the penalty for using bad language or taking the name of God in vain was, what do you think? Can you guess? Wash your mouth out with soap, yeah. Cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, and taken very seriously by us. I don't know how many times it happened, if any. I think it probably did once or twice. But it kind of passed through the generations because my wife was a mean mother too. And uh, my, grand my daughter told us about our grandson uh, she found him in the bathroom with a bar of soap in his mouth, tears running down his face, saying, I said the bad word. <laughs> he was always a self-reporter. You'd find him giving himself time out um, and uh, punishing himself, and there he was with the soap in his mouth. Well, he learned a, a good lesson, an important lesson. <clears throat> now, are, are any of you uh, Jeff Foxworthy fans? You know, Jeff is a, a believer. He's cleaned up his act the last several years quite a bit because of that. Uh, <clears throat> goes to North Point Church in, in Atlanta. And he's famous for his redneck jokes. And as a bona fide Southerner, he can tell redneck jokes and get away with it because actually he is a redneck. <laughs> uh, and so he, uh, he has a whole line of you might be a redneck if jokes. And my favorite is uh, you might be a redneck if your richest relative buys a new house and invites everyone over to celebrate taking the wheels off. <laughs> or you might be a redneck if your dog and your wallet are both on a chain. Or you have the local taxidermist on speed dial. And then uh, another one that 
you, you would think is just a joke unless you lived in the South. You might be a redneck if you have a picture of Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, or Elvis above your fireplace, preferably on velvet. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you one of mine. You might be a redneck if uh, Mama and Papa are planning to take the young'uns, the grand young'uns, actually. Didn't say which week. There we go. All right, give him a hand. So you might be a redneck if, if you talk about carrying Mama and Papa and the grand youngins out to visit Oregon. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to use his form for a simple sermon on a serious topic, talking about the name of God. You remember when God approached Moses and said, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go? They'd been in bondage for 400 years. Their situation was so tragic and so terrible that they didn't even know what to call God. And so Moses said, who shall I tell him sent me? I don't know your name. And God said, tell them, I am sent you. It's a powerful name. I am that I am. And here's what it means. It's God saying, whatever you need, I am. Wherever you're going, I am. Whatever you're dealing with, I am. Whatever you're struggling with, and you need a solution for, I am. And so when Moses wrote this commandment, they took it seriously. And in fact, by the time of Jesus, they had taken this uh, prohibition about the name of God or this caution about misusing the name of God to such an extent that they hadn't spoken his name for centuries. We have the term we use that we call Jehovah, Y-H-W-H, we don't really know if that's how it's pronounced or not because there are no Hebrew scholars who know how to pronounce that word that's used to describe God because the people of God took this command so seriously they didn't use his name at all. But that wasn't God's intention. God's intent in sharing his name and saying to keep his name holy was that we might be in relationship with him and yet a relationship that's real. He's not our errand boy. We can't just call on him when we need a chore taken care of. 
He wants to live in relationship with us. He wants us to live lives that lift up His name. So let's talk about misusing the name of the Lord. And if you're taking notes, um, I want you to change one thing on it. Instead of you, put we. We might be misusing the name of the Lord because I don't want to be lecturing you today. This is not about me telling you what's what and correcting you. It's about us studying an important principle of God's Word together. You might be misusing the name of the Lord if you claim the name of the Lord for salvation, but you don't regularly and intentionally share the gospel with lost people. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven whereby men are given to men by which we must be saved. Do you believe that? Hello? Do you believe that? Run it backwards. You see, if you run it backwards, forwards it says, there's no other name whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. And if you run it backwards, it's saying, if you don't accept the name of Jesus, you're not saved. That's pretty sobering. And I think that probably means that there's a whole bunch of people in my world and yours who are not saved. Because they don't honor and they don't revere and they don't recognize the name of Jesus. And if we claim it for ourselves and claim it selfishly, I'm saved because I understand, I know that there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved except Jesus. If I claim it selfishly and don't share it, I'm profaning the name of Jesus. I'm misusing the name of Jesus. And if you look in that text, Acts 4.12, look at verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. I, I partner with John Hendy. John Hendy uh, was a, a missionary to Peru for years, and before he went to Peru, he was on staff at a church in Arizona, and he wrote uh, a book, that, or a notebook, a workbook for relational evangelism called Peace Treaty with God, and it's been changed now to uh, It's All About Relationship. And it's a little tool to use to share your faith with someone else and help them come to know the Lord. We did a seminar in Ethiopia, probably just about as many people at that seminar in Addis Ababa as there are in the room here. Eager learners, quick to uh, grasp the things that were taught. They would, we would say, now practice this on each other. They'd go right into pairs and start practicing. And we had the same thing in Nigeria. Uh, dozens and dozens of people came and they showed up early and they stayed late and they practiced sharing their faith with each other. And we shared the the uh, workbook with one of my colleagues from South Sudan. He went home and he baptized 23 people in the next 10 days. John can't book a seminar on how to share your faith, relational evangelism, in the U.S. at all. Hasn't been able to for years. Because our churches are saying, well, we, we have other ways of doing that, or we let the pastor take care of that. No interest. That's tragic. We need to be regularly sharing our faith. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, 
so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Let me summarize that for you. Use it or lose it. That's not a threat of God saying, I'm going to take it away from you. But if you don't use your faith, if you don't use the gospel message, you won't appreciate it like you will if you're sharing it with someone else. Every time I share the gospel with a seeker and they say, yes, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior, and yes, I want to be immersed, I want to be baptized into Christ, I go, thank you, God. And, and I'm just so appreciative of what he's done for me. While I'm seeing what he's doing for them, I, I'm appreciative of what he's done for me. The most powerful thing we can do in a worship service is what you did. Have baptisms every time. Because... When we have baptisms in our worship services, we're saying we're winning. God's on the move. People's lives are being changed. Good stuff is happening in our church. It's powerful. We appreciate our faith when we share it. And so I do some simple things. I shared with you last year. Whenever anyone expresses a need in my presence, I try to remember to ask permission to pray for them. My mechanic said, uh, man, I, 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 it was an interesting experience because I, he put a new fuel pump in my truck and we, we talked about what was wrong and what he had done to fix it and the bill and settled up and I started to drive away and he started to walk away and just before I put the truck in gear, he turned around and came back. And he kind of leaned on the open window of my truck and said, you know, I've, I've been really feeling terrible lately. And he told me all the issues he'd been having with his breathing and with his help, with his health. And I said, Jerry, would it be all right if I pray for you? And he pulled his hat off and said, sure. So I prayed for him. I stopped by a few days later just, just to poke my head in and say hi. And he said, hey, you know, my wife was in a head-on collision two years ago. And she's recovered from the accident, but she hasn't left the house for two years. And I said, can I pray for her? What's her name? Stacy. Okay, let's pray for her. Now, he hasn't, he hasn't come all the way yet, but we're building a relationship. And... I'm being consistent with what I believe. I believe that the name of Jesus is a means of salvation. I believe that Jerry needs to know Jesus, that it's essential that he and Stacy come to know Jesus before they leave this life. And I need to live like it. I need to act like it in my relationship with him and with other people. You know what will happen if you pray for people who express a need in your presence and they're a seeker, they're a non-Christian? They'll be coming to you saying, what time was it the other day when you prayed for my boy? Why did they ask that? Because God moves. God is delighted to answer any prayer on behalf of a seeker, any prayer uttered by a seeker. And they'll be saying, uh, had a guy say, do that thing you do. And what? What are you talking about? That thing you... He said, no, that thing you do. And I said, what? He said, you know, pray. And I went, oh, okay, yeah, that thing I do. <laughs> we need to be actively engaging with people who don't know Jesus and helping them come to faith in him. 
Number two, we might be misusing the name of the Lord if our prayer life is anemic. Look at John 16, verses 23 and 24 with me. Jesus begins this verse saying, I tell you the truth. And every time that Jesus says that in Scripture, it's a now hear this. It's him saying, hey, heads up, this is important. Listen up, this is really important. I'm about to tell you something very significant. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. We're talking about the name of Jesus. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, there's a, that, that's a unconditional written guarantee about prayer. Whatever you ask. Do you know what the Greek word for whatever is? You know what it means? Whatever. <laughs> Anything. Anything. If you ask, and it's translated that way in another text, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it. Does your prayer life reflect that? I mean, what if God gave you a certificate, and on it it said, use this certificate in the name of Jesus, and anything you ask will be granted. That's that verse. What if you're, I, I, I'm a gardener, so I have these loppers. You know what loppers are? They're for pruning, long handle, blade up there, supposed to cut through things maybe a, an inch. Well, I have a tendency to cut things that are bigger than an inch. <laughs> and I kind of misuse my loppers. And so a couple weeks ago, I was, had a helper with me, Robert, and we were pruning some trees and and. I got those loppers, and this will tell you how strong I am as a 70-year-old old man. And I squeezed those loppers, and the handle broke. Fiberglass handle. So I took them back to the local Ace Hardware where I bought them and said, can you do anything for this? And they said, well, just a minute. And the clerk sent one of the boys back to the back corner of the room and said, go get a pair of those and bring it back. And she got them, and she took out her... Her readers, she's about as old as I am. And she looked at it and said, yeah, it says unconditional guarantee. Give the man some new loppers. It's right there in writing. If you have an unconditional warranty on your car and something goes wrong with your car and you go into the dealer, you're large and in charge. You're not begging them to help you. You're saying, I've got a warranty here. I want my car fixed. And they say, yes, sir, fix your car. You've got a warranty here. You've got a verse in Scripture that says, if you will ask anything in the name of Jesus, God will grant whatever you ask. Most Christians, in my opinion, don't pray that way. They don't pray with that kind of confidence. But we're told, we're told we can come before the throne of the universe, described as the throne of grace in Hebrews 4, with boldness and confidence. Boldness and confidence about what? That we're going to receive whatever we ask in the name of Jesus. And I submit to you that if we don't pray that way, we're misusing the name of Jesus. 
If all we pray are pathetic little dinner prayers, we're leaving untapped reservoirs, untapped power that we need to tap. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? It's, not the, it's the disciples' prayer, really. Our Father in heaven, what's the next part? Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Say that with me. Hallowed. Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Now, he's not, he's not just using a term there. He's not just using a word. He's not just introducing that phrase insignificantly. He's saying, if you live as though my name is holy, if you live as though my name is hallowed, all the other things that are in that prayer will be granted to you, forgiveness and food and provision. Hallowed be your name. Second Chronicles 7.14 is familiar to us. It says, if my people who are called by my name, that's what we're studying, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. It doesn't say, then I might hear from heaven and maybe I'll heal their land, does it? How many of you think our land needs healing? Second Chronicles 7.14 doesn't say if you think our land's a mess, if you disagree with what's going on politically in our nation, if you don't like what's going on socially in our nation, if you're concerned with what's happening culturally in our nation, it doesn't say get on social media and express your opinion. Because how many of you know that won't help anything? No, from the president on down, we're tweeting and we're twittering and we're doing I don't know what all we're doing, but we're not helping anything. And yet we have this prescription that says, I can fix that. If you go to the doctor with a terrible condition and the doctor says, oh, we can fix that, all of a sudden you're going, yay team. And, if, and you want him to say, take this pill and you're good. We have that. God says, if my people, who do you mean, God, who are called by my name, if the people who claim my name will just humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray, I'll hear from heaven and what? I'll heal their land. The healing of our land is not the responsibility of the Republicans or the Democrats or the Independents or anybody else, it's the responsibility of the people who are called by God's name. He's waiting for uh, those prayers and that penance and that repentance on the part of the people who wear his name. That's good news. We can fix this. We can fix what's wrong with our nation. We've been given the right. We've been given the authority. We've been given the prescription for how to pray and change our country. But it's going to take God's people taking this promise seriously and practicing it before anything will change. And I submit to you again, if your prayer life is anemic and poor, you might be misusing the name of God because the name of God is powerful. The name of God could even restore our land. It could even heal our country. 
It could heal the things that are wrong in the world. Number three, we might be misusing the name of the Lord if our daily life is inconsistent with the faith that we possess or profess. This Christian life isn't about attending a church service once a week. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. We're, calling, we're called to live like our Lord. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And he goes on and talks about everything in life, husbands and wives and children and slaves and business owners and politicians. He said, if you're a, a, a follower of Christ, do whatever you do, whatever your roles are in life, do it in the name of Jesus. We need to be the employee that everybody asks, wow. Or says, wow, look at that person. They work so hard. They work so well. They put in the extra effort. They go the extra mile. We need to be the person that eventually asks the, the, the questions. They start by saying, Why? You know, you're not getting paid any more than the rest of us, so why do you work so much harder? Sometimes that's said a little resentfully. And then the, the question, how? How do you always have such a good attitude? How do you always come ready to pitch in and get things done? How, are, how come you're always a part of the solution and not a part of the problem? But then it comes to the real question, who? Who is it that helps you do what you do? That's when we get to introduce them to Jesus. That's when we get to talk to them about our faith. Colossians 4, verse 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone, so that you know how to answer those inevitable questions that come when you live your life according to the name of Jesus when you do all that you do in the name of Jesus. Number four, you might be misusing the name of the Lord if your worship is weak and predictable. I celebrate what you do here. It's, it's awesome. I wish everyone in your neighborhood, everyone in this region, everyone in Gresham could experience this kind of worship the kind of worship that you experience in this place. People coming and praying for each other and the name of Jesus being lifted up in song and passionate uh, testimony being shared and people being baptized and people coming in and greeting one another. And, and uh, it's not just uh, one ethnicity. There's a, a diversity. This is, there's something powerful and beautiful in this place. And it's appropriate because we're supposed to worship powerfully in the name of Jesus. Part of why I slipped my shoes off is I remember a powerful worship experience. I don't know the guy. The guy's name was Matt. I don't know his last name. Got up to lead worship in a mega church down in Arizona, and he slipped his shoes off, and he didn't have socks on. He was barefoot. He never said anything about it. He just humbly powerfully led us into the presence of Jesus. Experienced a communion uh, event 
communion service where the elder, it was the elder's turn to do the communion talk, and it was really brief. He said, we're here today to remember what Jesus has done for us and why. And then he said, serve the emblems, and he sat down. And he began to weep, just quietly, kind of sniffling, tears running down his face. Probably the most powerful communion service I've ever been a part of. And the name of Jesus was exalted. Matthew 18, verse 20 says, Where two or three come together in my name, Jesus, there am I among them. The local church is so important, and our worship is so significant. You see, when you put your sign out front and the people of God gather on Sunday morning or any other time when they gather in this place, but people are more aware of Sunday morning, it gives God an address. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that if they're looking for God, they know that God has an address on Cleveland Street in Gresham. And they have a right to think that they can walk into this place and meet God. Because your church gathered, and it's really the people, are God's address. And Jesus promised that if you're gathered together in his name, he will be here. In 1 Corinthians 14, uh, the Apostle Paul talked about people hearing a message in their own language and not a foreign tongue and the importance of clear communication in a church service and in our worship time. And he says, if if someone prophesies or preaches, he'll be convicted by all that he's a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And so he'll fall down, and he's talking about an unbeliever, he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is truly among you. I don't think anybody can go out of here today without going home and saying to someone who wasn't here, I went to church with God today. I went to church with God today. Oh, who was there today? Well, lots of people were there, but God was there. God was there. By lifting up the name of Jesus, you create a dwelling place for God. And creating a dwelling place for God is so important because it says if there's anyone who's seeking God, all they have to do is come here. Just come here. I think it was important that you have people in here for garage sale. Because every time they see that junk they bought, (laughs) they're going to think about your church in a positive way because it was cheap. But if they have a crisis in their life, they're going to say, I'm going to go to that church because they were nice to me. They welcomed me into their place. And if they come here and they experience your worship service, they're going to go away saying, I went to church with God today. Because you lift up the name of Jesus. You worship him appropriately. And you need to, each one of you need to be sure that that continues. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is Revelation 3.20. It says, here am I. I stand, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. We use that to invite people to 
accept Jesus into their heart. That's not what's going on there. In Revelation 3, it's the letters to the churches, and he's telling this church, I'm not in there. I'm on the outside. I'm knocking on the door. I won't come in unless you invite me. I won't impose myself on you. I'm out here. The tragic thing is that they were having church, and they didn't know that Jesus wasn't there. They had become so self-sufficient and so ritualistic and rote in what they were doing that they didn't even miss Jesus when he wasn't there. And he's on the outside knocking and saying, if, if you'll let me in, I'll come in. And every one of you, when you come, you either come with an attitude that says, bless me, I'm going to evaluate the songs, or you come with an attitude that says, Jesus, be welcome here. Father, be present here. Come, Holy Spirit. And you're inviting the presence of God and the power of God and the salvation of God into this place. And when seekers come who don't know him, it says they'll fall on their face and say, truly, God is among you. Sheldon Van Aachen was a friend of C.S. Lewis, and he said, I like this quote, I, I like this quote, and I don't like this quote. It says, the best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the best argument against Christianity is also Christians when they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Best argument for Christianity is Christians. Best argument against Christianity is Christians. So how are you doing? How are you doing with the third commandment? If you haven't been lifting up the name of Jesus by sharing your faith with others, if you haven't been lifting up the name of Jesus in your prayer life, if you haven't been really exalting the name of Jesus in your daily life, if you haven't been exalting the name of Jesus in your worship life, we're not going to use a bar of soap. We just need repentance. We just need to say, Lord, I want to honor your name. I want to lift up your name. I want to hallow. I want to hallow your name. And so we end back where we began. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Would you stand with me? Let's remember that word. I was with some guys down in Ecuador, and at first I was impressed, and then I was appalled because they began every prayer with, so. So, this, that. And I thought, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. But there's a way that our prayers are to begin. It's not a formula, it's not a rule, but it's, it's an example, and that's hallowed. Hallowed. Pray with me. Father, hallowed be your name and our witness to lost people. Open our eyes and help us see people around us this week who need to know you and help us lift up the name of Jesus. Father, hallowed be your name in our prayer life. Forgive us when we treat you cavalierly and casually. You are the great master. You are the sovereign 
of the universe. You are mighty God. You are the awesome Father. Help us to hallow your name in our prayer life. Lord, hallowed be your name in our everyday life. I pray that as people see us, they will recognize he, she, they have been with Jesus. And Lord, hallowed be your name in our worship gatherings. Thank you that your name has been hallowed in this place today in a powerful way. I bless you for that, and I thank you for it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Would you show your appreciation to Steve, please? Thank you, and don't forget your shoes. And you may be uh, seated as we wrap up our time together. It's been a full morning. Baptisms, thank you for the encouragement to me and my family. Definitely appreciate that. It's definitely fuel for the future. Um, it's our time where we collect our offering. And every week I just ask that you would grab the wooden handle and you'd pray the same prayer that I ask you to pray every Sunday, that, that every penny given to Mountain View Christian Church would go toward affecting life change. That's really what we want to do. And you've been able to be a part of some of that even, even today. And so it's also an opportunity for you to drop in the communication guards for a couple of reasons. One, to let us know you're here. Number two, if you have any particular need that you'd like us to reach out to you about, write that on the card. And then thirdly, uh, the prayer requests on the back, we definitely would submit those to our prayer team. And our prayer team will pray with you and for you um, with whatever you're facing, whatever challenge there might be. So ushers, would you please come and pass those offering bags? And while they're doing it, I just have a couple of, of quick announcements. The first thing is this. Many of you know a young man by the name of Dustin Stuvik. Dustin Stuvik uh, grew up at Mountain View Christian Church and uh, has gone to Bible college and then just got employed at Abundant Life Church at the Sandy campus as their youth guy. He will be ordained this evening at 4 o'clock in this room. And so if you know Dustin, if you just want to be a part of something special, we invite you to come back at 4 o'clock today uh, as our elders and Craig and I uh, participate in kind of ordaining him into ministry. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, that would be a great opportunity for you to come and learn, all right? Number two is this. Uh, on, I love one of the takeaways for the message for me is the whole concept of, of a physical address for God, Right? And, and that's important to us. We've not articulated it that way, but it's really important to us. And we want to be a positive influence in our community, even beyond a garage sale, which, by the way, you guys had a lot of stuff. And based on last week's sermon, you should be a lot more joy-filled now that you've gotten rid of some of that stuff, all right? And so uh, one of the things that we want to do, though, is on August 24th, it's our community care day where we go over to Highland Elementary, and we just help them spruce up the school and get the school ready for school to launch in September. And so we will give you more information, but invite you to be a part of that. The third thing that I want to tell you about is September 8th, after this service, we're going to have what we're going to call a block party. All right. And that means we're going to have some food trucks out here in our parking lot. We're going to have, invite you to bring your vehicles and pop up some chairs and all of those other good things. We're going to have cornhole and bounce houses and some fun things just for our church to get together. Sometimes we have two different services, and some of you are like, oh, I didn't know they went to church here. Well, this is one of those opportunities to do that. Another thing that we get to do is just be a positive influence. We're going to invite our neighbors to come and join us that day. Sound good? Awesome. One last thing. I know you're eager to go. Woo, right? One last thing. Um, just so you know this, you, you honored us today and encouraged us. Thank you. 
Now we're leaving town for a couple of weeks. All right, my family and I are going on a road trip. Now, if you know anything about the, uh, if you know anything about my family road trips, we kind of hold on to Murphy's Law. What can go wrong will go wrong. All right. Last time we did a road trip, we were skunked. All right. I think I shared that with some of you. And so we uh, do not expect a smooth and a seamless trip. We expect the opposite, hoping that maybe we'll be surprised, right? So here's the whole point. Um, pray for us. Uh, we'll be gone for a few weeks. We've got some great speakers, uh, Craig and Christian and Sean Tomei and some others will be on it. Uh, we're going to be going through Oregon, Idaho, Utah, California. Uh, Wyoming, Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and I think we come back by Montana, Washington, so I know we're crazy, a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old, pray for us, wish us luck. Here's what I know, that first point of Steve's was important for me, I've got family that don't know Jesus, and I just want to be a bright, shining light, I, I want them to know that with my life, I honor Jesus. And there are people in all of our lives, even this week, who, who don't know Jesus on a personal level like you and I do. And my hope and my prayer, this is my prayer for us, that we would be bright, shining Jesus lights to those people. And, and if all else fails, simply what we would do is just honor his name and lift his name up in all that we do and say. That's our prayer. You're dismissed. This revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart a sunday morning hallelujah and it's lasting all week long can you hear